Hey gang, happy Tuesday to you. Good to be with you again for our uh, study in Galatians. We're heading into the last chapter today. We've been uh, looking at Paul's section in Galatians 5, really talking about uh, the fruits of the Spirit uh, and the simul, uh, that simultaneously saint and sinner uh, reality of the Christian life. And we talked quite a bit about that yesterday, or last week, I should say. Uh, good morning, Bonnie. Good morning, Barb. Uh, but this week, we're we're sort of moving into, I think, Paul talking about how we live together as a church, how we actually uh, learn to live in life together in communion with one another. Um, as, I don't know if, if you all know this or not, but... Um, I have spent quite a bit of my life uh, seeking to share the gospel with people in cafes and places like that. I mean, I like coffee, and uh, I like people, and I feel called to share the gospel. And so I've done this. And uh, before uh, I was married to Missy and before we had kids, uh, I spent a lot of time, I mean, a lot of time <laughs> hanging out at cafes and doing this. And one particular time in my early 20s, back in my hometown in Rancho Cucamonga, at the local Starbucks, uh, there really was, I mean, a, a little mini, I don't know, like a little mini movement that started. It was just a, it was really a fascinating time. I remember talking to people about Jesus, just people that I would meet there, and then uh, they would start uh, coming and bringing their Bibles with them, and then others would bring a guitar, and pretty soon there was like this large gathering of Christians just kind of impromptu on a weekly, nightly basis, gathering to sing songs and to study the Bible at this Starbucks. There was probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 people that would uh, that would just go hang out all the time, and it would turn into this like little very informal time of, of worship and fellowship and uh, being from Southern California you know where the Jesus people movement in the late 60s started it kind of you know it kind of had that feel to it you know um, although we weren't none of us I don't know if any of us were hippies per se but but it had that feel to it you know this little mini revival um, long story short uh, it didn't take long before the little mini utopia revival whatever you want to call it, uh, came to an end. And um, it wasn't because there was a gang of marauding atheists that joined up our group and brought in all sorts of chaos and havoc. No, the reason that the group ended up not meeting very much anymore and then eventually just kind of cracking everywhere was because of the people within it. Um, eventually... What had started as this time of worship and fellowship and Bible study turned into now a time of nitpicking and arguing and debating and really no fun at all. And it got to the point where everybody started to avoid the place because it was not a place of joy. It was not a place that seemed to be a place you actually wanted to be. <laughs> and, um, and so people would avoid that Starbucks in order to not be with this group of Christians that was gathering there because it was all just, um, it, it, it had changed. And so I, I say that, I bring up that story only because um, as we continue through the book of Galatians, coming today to the last chapter, uh, Paul is going to give some words, I think, about how Christians, as we live life together, 
uh, can avoid that, can avoid those issues that come up in human relationships. I mean, we're going to have tension. The church is not going to be this perfect utopian community. We are going to have difficulties, but Paul gives some, for lack of a better way of putting it, very practical wisdom for how it is we can live as a church. So he says this in verse 26, reading to chapter 6, verse 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So, as I was preparing for this, it occurs to me uh, that there really is, I think, uh, four areas that Paul covers or four characteristics that he uh, that he calls us to uh, to walk in as Christians and so the first one I notice verse 26 is humility or not looking for glory let me read it again it says let us not become conceited provoking one another and being one another the sort of person Paul is saying not to be here is a glory hog uh, the person that's always looking for the credit, the person that's always seeking to get their name in the lights. The, the word there for conceited, actually, in Greek means empty praise. Uh, so this kind of person isn't even concerned with praise for anything actually good that they've done, just as long as they're getting praise, period, end of issue. And of course, this is obviously motivated by insecurity. And so the person can't help but either provoke uh, others or be envious of them. That's what Paul says. Now you, you, you want to avoid that if you're going to live in community together. Uh, now, of course, all of us, to some degree or another, probably have struggled with envying other people and what they have, and envying other people's gifts, envying other people's uh, uh, things that they that they own, and envying other people's stations in life. Uh, and Paul knows this. Paul wouldn't have to say it if it wasn't something that we all struggle with. And yet, if we don't battle it, as Paul talked about last week in the battle between the flesh and the spirit, well, then it, we can become proud little buggers that do harm to others. And remember, we've been set free for the good of our neighbor. Uh, Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils, and it is humility that makes men as angels. And C.S. Lewis, I think, says it the best. He says, a man who is eating or lying with his wife or preparing to go to sleep in humility, thankfulness, and temperance is by Christian standards in an infinitely higher state than one who is listening to Bach or reading Plato in a state of pride. End quote. So yeah, humility, humility makes you the kind of Christian that you actually want to hang out with instead of the Christians that you avoid at Starbucks and Rancho Cucamonga where I used to live. Uh, and if you've, if you've come across it, I mean, and some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've come across somebody who displays humility, it's attractive. 
uh, not a false humility, but I'm talking a genuine humility. When you see it, it's it's very, very attractive. It's very appealing to be around somebody who, who displays that characteristic. Second thing Paul writes, for the sake of communal life together in the church, uh, verse 1, forgive or restore others. Brothers, a word reminding them that they're family. I do this with my sons all the time. You are brothers. Act like it. Don't treat each other like enemies. You're the only ones you got. You know, I say this kind of stuff any, all the time. Paul says, brothers, if any of you is caught, the word for caught is the sense of being trapped or maybe overpowered, actually, in Greek. Overpowered. If anyone is overpowered in a transgression, means literally false step, appropriate considering the end of chapter 5, uh, where we're told to, quote, keep in step with the Spirit. So he says, if anybody is not keeping in step with the Spirit, takes a false step down a, down a false path because they've been overcome by their sin, what should we do? Paul makes it very clear. We should publicly humiliate them, berate them, make sure they know that they are no longer welcome in the holy house of God. Get out! No, that's not what he says. No, that's not what he says. <laughs> Thank God that's not what he says. Instead, he says, you who are spiritual. That means it's another way of saying it, Christian maturity, therefore not full of empty praise or conceit for themselves. You who have been set free yourself, it doesn't mean anything more than you who know Jesus should restore should restore. That word is used especially as a uh, surgical term for the, or for the setting of a bone or joint. Um, in other contexts back then, the word was used to describe strengthening or sustaining uh, worn down people, of the mixing of medicine, of a sailor outfitting his boat, of fishermen mending nets, or of politicians appeasing factions. In other words, it's delicate, patient work. And I say that, I point that out, because sometimes we want to think that the way we restore someone is by saying, okay, you're forgiven. You've been for, I know you messed up and you've confessed it. You're forgiven. Don't do it again. And then they do it again and we go, I restored you once, darn it. <laughs> not doing it again. No, it's not that way. Uh, he, it's, it's a, it's, it takes time. Restoration takes time. Forgiveness takes time. And he says to do it in a spirit of, of gentleness. Now, let's just contrast the imperative we just read with the imperative in verse 26. There people are jockeying for power via combat and ambition, if they see another brother stumble, they probably secretly rejoice that they are higher up on the, the ladder spiritually than that person. But the, the Christian that you want to be is the Christian that errs on the side of grace and forgiveness, of mercy. The Christian we want to be is the person that sees someone fall into sin, trapped in sin, overwhelmed by sin, that doesn't look at them in disgust, that doesn't crush them, that doesn't come down on them, 
but instead gets down into the muck with them to try and restore what's been broken. As a matter of fact, I would say there is nothing more evidential of the spirit of antichrist in a church, and that's what we're talking about here in a church setting, than an unwillingness to forgive. Jesus says it exactly that way. If you remember the parable of the wicked servant, Peter asked Jesus how many times he has to forgive someone that sins against him, surely hoping that Jesus uh, will affirm his, his suggestion. Peter thinks he's going above and beyond the call of duty. He says seven times. Mm -hmm. Are you impressed, Jesus, that I'm willing to do even that much? And Jesus says, how about 70 times? <laughs> seven and I get to see Peter being like oh mm, but that 491st time I tell you what no I mean it, <laughs> it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like that in the parable of the wicked servant that he tells afterwards he says I'm gonna paraphrase it them a guy owes the king a million dollars one day the king comes to collect what's owed him he of course doesn't have it but begs the king for mercy. Amazingly, the king forgives him all his debt. A little while later, that same man that had been forgiven so much by his king as you have sees a dude that owes him 20 bucks from a past bet. He grabs the guy by the neck and tells him that he better pay up or else he'll be put in prison. Man begs for mercy, but unlike the king before him, who had shown him so much forgiveness and so much mercy, he refuses to forgive the debt of the other, and the king is furious absolutely furious because he had forgiven this man so much debt how on earth could this man think that he would be justified in not bestowing that same kind of grace to others this is i am absolutely convinced christ's response to his church when the church does not bestow forgiveness of sins and restoration to people that have fallen yes even our heroes that have fallen if we don't dispense mercy we have lost the one thing the church has to give to the world, folks. It's what we got. And if we spend our time biting and devouring one another, as Paul will talk about, or has talked about, we will cease walking in the direction that our Lord will want us to walk in. C.S. Lewis again says, A self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. Oh, how often it is the case that Christians kill their wounded rather than give them grace. And I just want to call out with the loudest voice possible, Jesus is the one, the head of the church, who says a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick we, he will not quench. And I want the church to be able to say the same thing to people. So, I... We'll move on. Paul's not naive about what could happen. He even tells us at the end, like, keep watch over yourself, though, as you dispense mercy. Don't allow yourself to think that you're above falling into the trap that this person got themselves into. You can. Uh, and that's true. That is true. I've seen that happen, too. But, but the point is we want to be a place that says, like, forgiveness is real right now for you, and it can be every single day of your life. Okay, let's move on. Verse 2. He instructs us to carry each other. Paul writes in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. It, it means carry each other's heaviness, and in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. What a word, you fulfill the law of Christ. 
I don't know about you, but I have been in situations where I felt so overwhelmed that I just couldn't bear the load anymore. A heavy work week or uh, something going on that just seems to constantly be coming at me. Who do you call when you get there? Who do you call? Who do you feel comfortable calling when you are overwhelmed? And let's even say if you're overwhelmed with sin, if you're taken in, taken captive by sin, do you feel that the church is a place that you can call and say, can you help me with this? Sadly, I don't think many people do. I think many people are very afraid to share their burden with others because they don't think that the people will be willing to share the burden. Or maybe it's pride that keeps us from letting someone help us with our burden. Oh, I got it, I got it, I can take care of it. Oh, no, I can take care of my life. I, I'm good, I'm good. Well, both of them are no good, folks. Notice Paul's command here is reciprocal, which means the kind of Christian that you want to be is the kind of Christian that will come alongside of your brother and sister when they're in need, but also Paul's calling you to be the kind of Christian honest enough to admit that you can't carry the load on your own either. So you don't get to be the hero of the story. You are just one beggar telling another beggar. You know that whole phrase. You're just one person that can't carry your load helping another person that can't carry their load. Yes, Kathy, that's exactly right. That's exact, I think that's true. There are a lot of churches where some do judge and think less of you if you struggle with sin or you're overwhelmed. And that is what Paul is saying. Do not be that church, Galatia. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's a reason that AA is so popular and works so well. Why? Because people there know they can unload their burdens on others. Be honest and real, and they're not going to be judged, and it works. The church needs and is called by Paul here to be the same kind of place, a beacon of mercy in a world that offers 0.9% of it. Uh, we can, all right, let's move on. Last thing, a fourth characteristic he mentions here, uh, being honest about ourselves. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. Now Paul is essentially calling the Galatians to be honest with themselves and others here. And what I think he means here is not so much that they need to stop lying or be being deceitful, but in the context of verse 26, mentioning those who puff themselves up with empty praise and jockey for position, I think what he is saying is, even as you restore your neighbor and carry their burdens, church, be honest with yourself and your own limitations. Test yourself honestly. Examine yourself against the word of God. Can you, uh, are you doing okay? But, but there is a problem with these verses because right after calling them to be honest, then he makes this seemingly, frankly, unbiblical statement. He says, and then your reason to boast will be in yourself alone and not in your neighbor. For each will have to bear your own load. What does that mean? Boasting in ourselves? Having to carry our own load? Here's, let me take a stab at it. Here's what I think he means. If after testing yourself, if after carrying the weight of somebody's burden, you find that, you're, that you think you're pure and holy and righteous, then you may boast about yourself. If you think that you are more pure and holy and righteous, then you may boast about yourself. But the fact is, you're not. 
And that's where we really see what this is all about. Because I've described to you today, and Paul's described for us today, a Christian that, that we actually want to be and that we actually want to hang out with. And I have said from this text that this person is humble and forgiving and bears everyone's burdens and is honest about their, who they really are. And all of us know if we're honest after listening to this, the only person I could possibly be talking about that fits all these characteristics at all times is Jesus. The fact is he humbled himself taking the form of a servant while here on earth. He forgives you completely of all your sins without ever bringing them back up and throwing them in your face again. He bore your burdens, all of them, on the cross crying out, it is finished, paid in full, and only he honestly could at the end of the day, boast about himself before the throne of a holy God. Only he could carry not just his load, but your load and my load to his Father and actually still stand. And it is only as you hang out with this, the Christ, this person, that you might just, as you meditate on what he's done for you, that you might just become, by the power of his Holy Spirit, the kind of Christian that could reflect those characteristics to your neighbor and to your fellow churchmen. Well, that is, that's it, gang. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I will pray, as I do always for myself, that God would make Make us people that reflect Christ to our neighbors and to the church, bearing each other's burdens, forgiving each other, humbling ourselves, and being honest with ourselves. All right, we'll see you next Tuesday. God bless.